All right, well, welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. For those of you that are here for the first time, we welcome you. If you've brought a friend, thank you so much. We, are, uh, um, we think what we do here is very important, and we, are, we have a grassroots movement of handing pamphlets out. So if you're here as a result of one of our pamphlets, thanks for accepting the invitation. But we are in a period of time on this planet where there's a lot of change taking place, a lot of systems that are breaking down, and uh, that's always a signal of something new waiting to be born. So let's talk about that a little bit today. So I'm going to invite you to, to continue as we gather. The best way to, I'll speak about it a little bit in a few moments, to experience the divine, or whatever you call it, is directly. So however you access that experience, we bless you and honor you on your path. And I'm going to invite you in this moment to just drop into the silence and maybe open your heart to that experience. So we'll drop into 30 seconds of silence. I will sing a song and offer a prayer. Let's begin. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to allow my words to be your words in this moment. And if they don't fit, let them wash over you. Let them move through you. Give them no energy. But what I affirm and know in this moment and all that is required is your yes, your agreement, if they do fit. There's one life, one power, one activity. That life, that power, that presence is the divine. It is source. It is spirit. It goes by many names in many traditions. But it is a vibration. It is a frequency. And we are immersed in it, and it is immersed in us. And so I know that I am one, speaking in the I am for each person here, that that life is my life. And so this divine intelligence is moving in and through and as all of life, and as we open to it and partner with it in co-creation, something powerful and beautiful is available in and through and as each and every one of us. And so what I invite myself in this moment to do is to put down anything unlike that and to monitor my thinking and my way of being and my way of responding and reacting to to the world and the people around me in a new and powerful way to never forget who I am and whose I am. I'm an eternal being on a journey of discovery and learning. I'm here to solve problems and to help others solve problems along the way. But that's their business. I understand my responsibility. I understand my boundaries. I understand my opportunity to show up and be my best and bring my best. 
And at the end of the day, if I can say yes to all that, I am well pleased. And the Father within is well pleased, as the teacher Jesus would say. So let us lead a, lead a life each day and each moment that leads us to the experience of being well pleased, fulfilled, and knowing we've given our best and tomorrow is an opportunity to give our best again. For this I give thanks. I give thanks for this beautiful teaching. I give thanks for a spiritual community that is not bound and restricted in ways that, that, that do not allow the creativity and the opportunity and the love and the joy to be expressed fully. We are here to live a life of freedom, as Dr. Ernest Holmes said, and I say yes to that. I say yes to freedom. For this I give thanks. I release these words knowing that we have spoken these words. When we speak our words out loud, there's a power to them. There's an impact to them. And what we agree with, we become part of. So thank you for your agreement. Thank you, because where two or more are in agreement, it is done. And it doesn't add, it multiplies. And so this prayer radiates out in every direction where our love is, is longed for, we supply it because it is endless, boundless, beautiful, and powerful. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Okay. Alrighty, well, Thanksgiving weekend. As my good friend Ed said to me before the service, Ed came all the way from Mexico to hear me speak today, and I'm honored. Thank you, Ed. He said, let's give Ed a hand. He's actually... He's actually the father of my two stepsons, who are two beautiful young men I'm so proud of, and, and I know he is too, so and we're here to celebrate our shared granddaughter's second birthday today. It's going to be two. So, it's a beautiful day, and as Ed said to me, you know, a weatherman, he can be 180 degrees wrong and still get paid at the end of the week, and I said, yes, he can. So, maybe I'll do that next, be a weatherman. So we're talking about transformation this uh, month, and I wanted to talk about, today I want to talk about for Thanksgiving, transformation of the heart, because that's where all the juice comes from. That's where all the good stuff is, and I brought a bunch of books with me, because I've been doing a bunch of textbook thumping this week, and Dr. Ernest Holmes has got a lot to say about heart. He said later in his career he would have talked a lot more about the heart than the law, as he looks back on it, but he did what he needed to do, because the law needed to get hammered home at the time he came along. So there's three ideas I want to share with you today, the key points, the lucid self, infinite energy, and the secrets of the spiritual heart. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on because it's been a really, really uh, heartbreaking uh, week with what happened in Las Vegas. I think all of us have been impacted. And so how do we, how do we you know, life is tough. Life is just, it takes, it takes the wind out of you sometimes when you see things like this happen. And so how do we look at that from a, a spiritual perspective? And I'm going to offer, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to offer you a few insights, I think, as to what, what brings us to these experiences as collective. If we teach oneness, then we were the ones standing in the parking lot, you know, and not knowing what was going on, and we're also the ones in the window because we're all connected. So what's going on there? And I think uh, we've been using um, uh, Michael Singer, Singer's book, The Untethered Soul, this great little gem here. It's a great little book. If you don't have it, we have a few left in the bookstore. And so the next three chapters are simply what I've pulled out of this because and it's remarkable because he talks about the heart today and then Martin shows up and sings Lovers in a Dangerous Time. It's hard to love in a dangerous time because we want to pull back. We want to shut down when these things happen. And we did a prayer vigil on Wednesday, and about eight people showed up, and it was powerful and beautiful because we need to move the energy. And, and Michael Singer speaks to this so beautifully this week, so let's get on with it. 
First of all, he talks about the, 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 the lucid self. There's three things in the lucid self that I wanted to touch on today. The direct experience, the lost soul, and true meditation. He said, and Singer says, and I believe it's true for all of us, and I mentioned it in the opening prayer, that the, the most effective way and powerful way to have a spiritual experience is, is through the direct experience. In other words, it, it can happen anywhere to us. It can be out in nature. We can be at a sporting event. We can be with family. We can be alone. We could be learning a song. I'm sure for Martin, what has created such a wonderful artist with this guy, and we're so blessed to have him this week. So thank you for being with us in the concert series. When you were, when you were playing down there opening for Sarah McLaughlin, it was one of the proudest days of my life. And, I would, and I'm, I'm like on the side, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. So those are the joys that I can go back to. I can go back to that memory and it takes me right out of whatever the spin is. You know, I can look at the two-year-old Audrey and it takes me right out of whatever the spin is. They're our medicine. We have to have medicine in our lives. Otherwise, we will go crazy. So the best way to learn is direct experience. Martin, our grandchildren, those we love, direct experience. Doing an affirmative prayer, really grounding ourselves in the truth of our being. There's one life, there's, there's one power, one presence. That's God's life. That's my life. Boy, when you get that, that changes everything. I've said that thing thousands and thousands of times, but most of the time I'm just announcing. But you've got to do some announcing to get to the to good stuff. I mean, it's not wasted. It's just, hey, I'm one step closer. So he talks about, he uses the example of a television program around this direct experience. When we're immersed in a television program, you know, and it's really great, we, don't, we lose track of where we are. We lose track of the room. We lose track of the furniture. We get pulled in by all of our senses. We're just immersed in it. And what he says in this first chapter about the, the, uh, the lucid self, and that's that state of dreaming. So lucid dreaming is you're dreaming, but you know you're dreaming. It's a dream that you're, you're, you're uh, flying, but you know you're dreaming about flying. And so it's the same idea that it, with life, and that what happens in the world of senses is he said, the world of senses draws us in. And then our emotional and mental reactions draw us in further. And then, at that point, you're no longer sitting in the centered self, which we talked about last week. The place that we really live is the centered self. We're in there witnessing life going on around us. But most of us aren't in that space because we're so lost in the lucid. We don't even realize we're dreaming when we fall asleep in a dream. um, Dr. Joe Dispenza says, all perception is misperception. Our brains, as I've said many times, but it's so telling, four Four billion bits of information available at any one time. And we can process 2,000 bits at any one time. Which means there's a whole lot of things going on that we're not perceiving or, or aware of. So have, just, to, just to be mindful, so we're, we're asleep in the dream. But it's okay, we get, because we can, we can shift and change that. As he says, at one point you're no longer sitting in the center itself. You become absorbed in the inner show where you're watching. You're watching your own personal TV show. So I guarantee you the guy that got up in that window with those high-powered rifles and all that ammunition was lost and asleep in his own personal TV show. This is what happens. We go to sleep in it. We think the world out here is what's happening and is real. This 99.999% of what we are creating shows up, it, it is, is unseen, and then it shows up as that last percentage, portion of a percentage. So this idea of the direct experience. And are we falling asleep in life or are we uh, about the business of waking up? 
So then moves on to, the, he talks about the lost soul. The lost soul is the consciousness that is dropped into the place where human thought, emotions, and sensory perception of sight, sound, taste, smell are all synchronized. All these messages come back to one spot. So we get so immersed in it, and then the consciousness that is capable of being aware of anything makes a mistake of focusing on that one spot too closely. Once again, we fall asleep. So it's a matter of focusing or not focusing. When the consciousness gets sucked in, it no longer knows itself as itself. And I know that's a bit esoteric, but that's exactly what happens when we go to sleep in this dream. And I'll, I'll flesh that out a bit more in a moment. It knows itself as the object it is experiencing, and you think you're the sum of your learned experiences. Most people live that way. I've had this experience. When you really understand who you are and whose you are, life takes on a whole different connotation. Because it's like, I'm on this eternal journey here. It doesn't mean you don't care. It just means that you care in a different way. Because then you can observe it. That's why we're bringing the cue process here. And it's never been more timely. And that whole thing is about uh, the incorporation of the shadow. It's about owning the parts of us that are disowned. Because, as Carl Jung said, it's about wholeness. And we cannot have the full spiritual experience when we are separate. And it means we own all of it. I'm going to flesh that out a bit too. What differentiates a conscious-centered being from a person who is not conscious is simply the focus of their awareness. That's it. It's about where you're focusing your awareness. Oh, I had this experience and I got my heart, I got disappointed. I got betrayed, I got abandoned, whatever it may be. Because I've heard all, in 20 years of ministry, I got my 20-year pin on here today. I had to go back in my office, they sent it to me. This is the badge of honor you get after 20 years of ministry in the CSL. It's about an inch around... Thanks, you guys. I didn't go get it for that, but thanks. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I got my honorary doctorate, and someone said to me when I got it, it's probably harder to get one of those than a real doctorate. I said, I think it is, yeah. Because you do run the gauntlet, but it's so worth running. Because what it teaches you is to be resilient. See, other people's opinions, they got them. They're just like noses. But when you can stand and then stand grounded in the truth of your being and have compassion for it instead of having to defend it, realize, oh my gosh, this person is really hurting. It's got nothing to do with you, but we think it's got everything to do with us because we're asleep in the senses. We're asleep in the, the emotions. So he talks also about true meditation. True meditation is a simple awareness of being aware. So we can be meditating right now. We've got the labyrinth. Reverend Carmine did a, a guided meditation this morning. Joe dispenses meditations that we've been in, introducing to the community about, uh, about lining up the energy centers, balancing them and cleaning them. And that, that, that's uh, a bit of what I'm going to present today as well. But true meditation is a simple awareness of being aware. And the more you're willing to just let the world be something you're aware of, instead of getting hooked all the time, but hey, it's going on. Uh-oh, there it goes again. It doesn't mean we don't care. But as soon as we get drawn into it, we lose ourselves. So how do we maintain our sense of self, our centered awareness? Because if we go to sleep and we, we spin into fear when these things happen, and, and listen, there's a mourning process that goes on. There's a sadness because it's a blow. When somebody gets up and, and performs an act of violence that we can't even comprehend, we got to process it. It doesn't mean we jump right into this, this wisdom and clarity, but there's something for us to know first before there's something to do. And we're going to keep having these things over and over again until we get it and wake up. Because that's the way life works. There's only, see, the great thing is there's only seven evil people in the world. Isn't that good to know? Out of the billions, there's only seven evil people in the world. Now, that's not linear. But what I'm saying is they're a small, small group. But they're there. Dr. Holmes writes about it in the Science of Mind textbook. 
In fact, in the, the Holmes papers on page 224, I'm going to start having you bring your Science of Mind textbooks to the center with you every week because it's such great stuff. And if you don't own one, oh my gosh, you better get one. They're selling like hotcakes. <laughs> one of his teachers, Thomas Troward, said this. Troward said, in such degree, in treatment. Now, in treatment, if you're new to us, is affirmative prayer. It's a form of prayer that we don't beg and plead. We, we affirm something and know something. And so the, the attempt there is to shift into the knowing, to the embodiment of the knowing, so there's a direct experience. There's no doubt. That's faith. But Troward, Judge Thomas Troward was one of his great influences. We studied the things Holmes studied because that's what opened up his consciousness. So we were following his path. He threw a rope down to us, and we study. We got to study, folks, because we got to re-educate ourselves. We got to wake. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I got to wake up. Because I'm, I'm done spinning in this repetitive anger and frustration and hatred that goes on in the world. Because people got that down. It's hard to stand. That's the, that's the true mystic can stand in the center of all this and not lose themselves. And we lose ourselves at times. And the great thing is, we can step right back into it. We're never punished for it. We just punish ourselves. Oh, I forgot again. I can't do this. Yes, you can. It's that, that Rumi song, Come. It doesn't matter if you've broken your vow a thousand times or more. Rumi knew it. So anyway, Troward said this, in such degree, in treatment or affirmative prayer, as we believe that our, our prayer is conditioned by the past, the present, or the future, we are not treating in what we might call the realm of the absolute, or let us say the realm of unconditioned cause. This moment is pristine. And what happens is we bring the past or the present, the future rising or the past rising into the prayer, and then the prayer lacks something because there's, there, there's not a clean avenue for it. And so the awareness to really become present, to become centered, as Michael Singer's talking about. This conscious centered being. He said, I like the realm. Holmes said, I like the realm of the unconditioned cause better than the realm of the absolute because it means more to me. So what he's telling us is pick out words you like. Don't go with mine. What words work for you? And it's a beautiful thing, but it's, 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 he points us in a direction. He threw, threw us a rope. So the next idea, the next idea today is the infinite energy. Energy source has many names. Do your best. Simple stuff. Simple, simple. But this stuff needs to be simple. I need it simple. I need stuff I can use when I'm changing a tire or all of a sudden it snows and I wasn't expecting it. You know. All right, here we go. Everything that happens in the outside world requires energy. And as he says, Michael Singer says, and everything that happens in the inside world requires energy. It all requires energy. Creating thoughts, holding on to thoughts, recalling thoughts, generating emotions, controlling emotions, and disciplining powerful inner drives all require tremendous expenditure of energy. So where does all this energy come from? Where does it come from? Energy is there sometimes, sometimes it's not. Have you noticed that? Like if you're depressed and you've had a bad day or a bad week or a bad year or a bad decade, you have less energy, right? Then all of a sudden something happens in a, in a twinkling of an eye and it can shift. All of a sudden you're full of energy. As he said, it's always available to us. And when it's coursing through you, you can feel it. You can actually feel it coursing through you in waves. We've all had that experience. You're on fire about something. We, the reason we don't feel it all the time is because you block it. We block it by closing our hearts. By closing your mind and by pulling yourself into a restrictive state of uh, space inside. And this closes off all the energy. And this is what it means to be blocked. This is why you have no energy when you're depressed. There are centers within you that channel your energy. And that's the Joe Dispenza meditation, which he borrowed from the Hindus. The chakras, the energy. He calls them energy centers. They're chakras. 
When the heart center is blocked, not much can happen when the heart's open. And so Michael Singer said last week, so choose not to close your heart down. Choose not to close your heart down. But we're so used to closing it down every time we read something or see something that doesn't, that doesn't fit what we think it should fit, we close our hearts down. And the challenge is to keep our hearts open all the time because that's the flow of life, that's the flow of energy to stand in that and to have practices in our lives. I got a really powerful, powerful spiritual practice for you that I'm using myself. You wanna hear it or should I wait till next week? You guys wanna come back to next week and hear it? Well, we can do it next week, that's okay. Let me get on with this. Stop doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing. There you go. I'm writing my new Ten Commandments. Stop doing stuff you know you shouldn't be doing. Don't, yeah, I mean, keep doing the stuff you know you shouldn't be doing that's the big stuff that there's a payoff for. You know, like if you got somebody that you really got an issue with, well, don't, don't do any forgiveness work around that. That's a big one. I'm talking about a little tiny little thing over here. Stop doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. You know what they are. We all got one. It's not like I'm talking to Steve over here. I'm talking to everybody. See, because the great thing is you stop doing that, you start building the capacity and the resilience to move on to something else. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful practice. So if you gossip, anybody here ever gossiped? There's three people over here. Let me talk to you guys. All right. I'm going to tell you something about gossiping. Stop doing it. Stop it. Because what it does is it closes us down. It just closes us down. And we're telling stuff that's not ours to tell. I'm gonna, I, I wanna, we're going to practice it here. Our, our, ground, our coffee higher grounds back there, we're going to rename it. I'm going to get a banner made up soon. The no gossip zone. Because I've had people tell me, you know, I don't like standing back there because of what things that are being said. And so what we get to do is we get to coach one another, remind you, everybody's welcome here, but you've got to qualify to be here. And if your role is to gossip, you can't be here. You're welcome, you just can't bring gossip with you. If you don't have something nice to say, my mother told me, you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. Because there's no good in it. Does that make sense? Or am I just talking to myself here? Yeah. But isn't that simple? See, spiritual practice can be simple. So stop doing the thing. If you're eating something you know you shouldn't be eating, stop eating it. If you're drinking too much, stop drinking too much. That's what I loved about being a Catholic. Everything was in moderation. It was beautiful. I didn't have to give up anything. My problem was figuring out what the moderation was. So this whole spiritual thing has many names. This whole spiritual thing has many names. The Chinese call it chi. The, the, uh, in the yogic traditions, it's uh, shakti. In the West, we call it spirit. I mean, why is it that some 80-year-old people have as much energy as little kids? Why is that? And others, it's just like, holy cow, they're, you know, they're on their way out. They're planning a transition. Why is that? Because energy is energy. It's always available. It's like sun. The sun's always available. Energy doesn't get tired. It doesn't get old. It doesn't need food. Have you ever been freshly in love? Holy cow, you don't need to eat ever again. (laughs) Woo, watch out. Uh, Sigmund Freud said he would never work with somebody that was freshly in love. He said, because they're crazy already. So come back in six months and talk to me. (laughs) But it's just, it's so, it's so, 
You know, it's, it's just there. And it's the same with our inner energy. So what happens, and so why keep our hearts open? Because when we shut our hearts down, the energy can't flow. Because we block it. That's how we block it. I mean, the Hindus knew this. The Hindus knew it thousands of years ago. We don't even know where Hindu, Hinduism started. But man, they, they got it down. Four or 5,000 years ago. Oldest religion on the planet. And they have many names for God. But they don't have many gods. They just have different characteristics and qualities of God. You know, one for abundance, one for fertility, one for joy, one for celebration, one for rites of passage. I mean, they got, a, they got hundreds of gods. But it's all the one with different names. So we give it qualities or characteristics, and they just give it an identity. So the only difference with inner energy is that you have the ability to close up and block it. True spiritual teaching is about this energy and how to open up to it. So all teachings point to that. How to open up to the energy. So doing your best. How do we do that? We do our best by allowing it in and not blocking it. We do our best by, by understanding how high do we want to get. How much love do I want to feel? How much enthusiasm do you want to have for the things you do? If enjoying a full life means experiencing high energy, love and enthusiasm all the time, then don't ever close. You can have an open heart and not agree with people. You can be, you can be available in the world and you can be there with an open heart and still take a stand. I mean, none of us agree with what happened in Vegas. That's just wrong. But to close our hearts down as a result, what we do is we line ourselves up with the very energy that we're protesting, the hatred. See, this is, and I'm going to tell you, so for me, when I see this, we're bringing the Q process in here, which is about incorporating the shadow. It's about taking the unknown parts of ourselves and bringing it in to the wholeness of our experience. And it doesn't mean we live from them. I saw a beautiful, beautiful uh, a lecture that I read and I've been researching. And, they, and back in the early Christian days, they, it, it was uh, interpreted in gospel that Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Well, the Greek, it was, it was interpreted from Greek. And in Greek, meek doesn't mean what we think meek means. That, that you let everything happen to you. To be a good Christian, if you read that the way it's interpreted, to be a good Christian, you just step up and you, and you, you put your face out there and it becomes a punching bag. And then you turn the other cheek. That's not what it meant in the Greek. What it means in the Greek, it was a reference to a stallion. It was a reference to a a powerful animal that would come in and they would harness that animal, they would tame that animal, and they would partner with that animal to get work done. And at any moment, they knew that that animal could stomp you to death because there was a power there. It's called power under control. Meek meant power under control. So in other words, blessed are the meek doesn't mean you're a punching bag. Blessed on the meek is you are so grounded in the truth of your being and you know who you're going to be and you take a stand everywhere you are just because that's who you are. You don't have to announce it. So that when you show up, people know you got a sword, but you don't need to use the sword because you know who you are. That's what that means. And so in this, because I was looking at incorporation of shadow stuff and this was an illustration that I was listening to, this is so powerful. He said, when you don't embody your assertiveness, if you don't own it as part of who and what you are, it doesn't mean you have to live from it. It doesn't mean you have to to bully people, but you just know who you are. You know who those guys are when they walk in the room. They know who they are. Then you don't have to to act it out. Because I'm going to tell you, I will guarantee you psychologically, and I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, that guy in that window shooting all those people did not own his assertiveness. So it had to be played out in some insane way. This is why it's so important for us to own all of ourselves, to have the full spiritual experience. If we don't own all of it, 
If we keep praying it over and not, and not bringing it in and allowing it to, to have a place within us to say, yeah, I get it. This is power under control. Because otherwise, if we don't stand in our own assertiveness, then somebody that's got a louder voice and a stronger opinion can take us anywhere we want, we, we'll, we'll let them. That's what happened in Germany with Hitler. A number of people said, came along and said, oh, there's the guy with the answers. Let's go along with him. But when you own yourself and you own your own power, that doesn't happen. It's important. It's important, important, important. It's crucial. So the secrets of the spiritual heart. In and out of love. In and out of love. When the heart opens, we feel love. When the heart closes, love stops. The heart controls the flow of energy by opening and closing. That's it. That's the flow of energy. That's the center. That's that chakra. That's that energy bank. He tells a story in the book, Michael Singer does, about you're driving along and you're all of a sudden you're, you're madly in love with somebody and all of a sudden you see the person that you're madly in love with coming the other direction in a light blue Mustang and sitting in the front seat and somebody's got their arm around him and they're cuddling. And it's like, holy cow, this starts driving you crazy. The jealousy kicks in. What's going on here? On and on and on. All of a sudden that, that heart that was open is closing. And all of the other things that go on with it. And you start to process, you internalize it. And, it, and then the heart becomes blocked. And you start to store this unfinished energy from your past, which is what happens. So we get trapped with the unfinished energy. It gets trapped in these energy banks. That's why it's so important to have process and practices in our lives that can move the energy, because it gets blocked. And then nothing good can come through. And then you have joys, too. See, it works the other way. You have great experiences. You have the exhilarating experiences. That gets trapped, too. Because we hang on to that. We cling to that. The Buddhists say all suffering is caused by clinging. i got to get that back. So this whole idea. And, and so then, five years down the road, you're doing pretty good. You've met somebody else. In fact, you've gotten married. And you're really happy. And all of a sudden, a light blue, blue Mustang goes by again. All of a sudden, you have the memory. You're right back there five years earlier. Just kicks in because you've got that energy stored right here. So how do we let it go through us? How do we let life move through us? How do we make ourselves available so that life can move through us? So it's called, in the, in the, in the uh, yogic tradition, it's called samskara. In Sanskrit, it means impression. So we have these impressions, and they get trapped. How do we untrap them? How do we free them? Because it's just life, just life happening. And, we, and life is full of disappointment. But then we start to write a whole script for it and a pattern. Because we get betrayed once, we think, oh, that's my pattern. And the opportunity, see, we've come here to have this experience. What is incarnated is our unfinished aspects. So, of course, we're going to have challenges. So, impressions. And in the yogic teaching, it is considered one of the most important influences affecting your life. They know. This ancient wisdom teaching knows. A samskara is a blockage and impression from your past. It is an unfinished energy pattern that ends up running our lives. That's the reality. So I'm going to tell you, I don't know the answers once again. Let's look at what just happened last Sunday. I don't know what happened there. Probably never know. But there was a blockage within that person that allowed him to objectify other human beings, which means that you're not a person, you're not a brother and a sister, you are a thing. And for whatever reason, he decided that he was going to play this out this way. It's heartbreaking. But to close our hearts down and let it be another blockage for us serves no one. So how can we stand grounded in this and understand horrific things are going to happen? But for me, it's a call to wake up 
For me, I look at it and I go, you know, there's something for me to know here. Because I have people I care about. Some that aren't even born yet, but I care about those future generations. And I'd like to be part of the group that said, you know what? We did everything we possibly, we brought our best to help heal this. And your consciousness is the first thing. There's not something to do, there's something to know. But if we run around trying to fix this and legislate it, and I'll tell you what, as long as we believe that we can objectify one another, it won't matter what the weapon is. We'll find another way to, to hurt one another and try and kill one another. If as long as we believe in disease, disorder, uh, discord, or that somebody else out there, we'll find a way to punish one another. So to say we need more legislation, we need to get rid of this, we need to get rid of that, you know, I'm all for whatever it makes sense. But I'm just saying until we shift the consciousness, we'll keep, we'll keep doing it. We can cure cancer. But as long as people ste keep stepping up with whatever that consciousness is that invites cancer into their experience, we'll keep having cancer no matter what we do. So it starts with consciousness and it ends with consciousness. So I want to just read you something here. I've got a last slide. I'm doing good today. This is a lot of information, so thank you guys. Thank you for bringing your best today. I mean that. Thank you. This is important stuff. Thanks for listening and being available to this. And you know what's blocking you. And if you've got a practice in your life that's, that's contributing to the blocking, stop it. Just stop it. Say no. Enough's enough. Yeah, people come up to you. You know, when you're back there and people are gossiping, it's just like saying, hey, bring your junk in that dump truck over to my front yard and dump it in the front yard. That's what it is. You're just a dumping ground for somebody else's unhealed, blocked crap. And you can say, and so when someone comes up to you and starts telling you something that you don't need to hear that's none of your business, you can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go outside and have my coffee. I don't want to hear this right now. You might want to go talk to a practitioner over there. This is an opportunity to heal and shift something. That's why we're here. If we're not helping one another bring our best, then what are we here for? Let's just call it a day. I got a service over there at the Catholic Church. I can go over there. They'll tell me how to behave. If I say enough prayers and I'm a good enough person, I'm going to get into heaven. That was the fairy tale I believed when I was a kid because that's the fairy tale my parents had. Ernest Holmes said, the heart is the center of divine love and perfect circulation. Its actions are harmonious, vital, adequate, and complete. There is no false action and no wrong action. See, the heart knows. And as long as we block it, it can't, it can't operate at this level. The pulsation of life are steady, unceasing, and perfect. Love is at the center of man's being and women. He wrote this in 1926, keep in mind. Love is at the center of, of humanity's being, and the calm, continuous pulsation of life are governed by love. Holmes knew. That is, if you're interested and you have your textbook with you, bring it along next week. Okay? It's a beautiful book. It really is. That's right from page 238, Heart Trouble. He said this, The daily record of fatalities from heart trouble bears evidence of this. Sudden shock, terrific loss, particularly loss of love, fear. All kinds of fear are some of the thoughts which quickly manifest in the body of man as heart trouble. The remedy for this is love. Perfect love casts out all fear and a divine fearlessness, a singleness of purpose, a determination to think only God-like thoughts should be used in treating heart trouble. Here we go. Are we on a planet right now that's got some heart trouble? Yes, indeed. There are people that, are, that have been in families that have been devastated by this. And, and we understand that. But let's not stop loving. Let's be lovers in a dangerous time as Martin came up and that's what takes courage, to keep loving. 
when this stuff goes on because the world needs love and, and healthy love and love that is, that is integrated. So we got our assertiveness. So we're not going to get pushed over. We're not going to get run over. No, this doesn't stand. I'm taking a stand for love. I mean, that's what Jesus did. They hung him up on a cross and he still loved. He said, just forgive him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He realized it was ignorance. That was his message. Holmes, Holmes' direct experience was to embody the Christ. And I know he got there at times. And you and I have that opportunity. We are the ones we've been waiting for. So whatever goes out on in the world, let's have the fullness of the experience. Let it move through us and touch us, inspire us. Use it for fuel to continue to bring our best to make a commitment not to block, not to hold on, not to harbor. As I said, this, this Q process, one of the things I think it can be such a powerful tool to help us integrate and to stand in wholeness together and to have a more interesting and powerful and generative conversation. Because it's t- now's the time. The beginning of this textbook, Gene Houston writes, now is the time that we are the ones. Now is the time we are the ones. Happy. Thanksgiving, you beautiful godlings, you. I love you. Thank you. Blessings.